Holy God, has our worship been pleasing to You? We've brought everything we have. We, we've sung at the top of our hearts. We've praised You. We've bowed before You in recognition of Your sovereignty and Your glory and Your majesty. We acknowledge that You are the only One. And we want to find You over and over and over again through our Lord Jesus. Just a few moments left, dear Father, but would You speak to us through this book somehow on this eve of new beginnings. You surely have a word for this university community of faith and the newest who have come to join us. Speak, Lord, Your children, Your servants. We all listen through Jesus Christ, our Master and our friend. Amen. I have up here five stones. These are not just any five stones. They've come from a very special place. And in this hand, I'm holding a New York Times bestseller critically acclaimed. What do these five stones and this bestseller possibly have to do with a brand new class of freshmen that has descended upon Andrews University? I'm going to tell you a lot more than first meets the eye. Now, let me carefully put these stones down in this book. I, I need to share with you an absolutely mind-boggling statistic that I learned just this week. My friend Laura Lee Thomas found this on the Internet, copied off on her color printer, that web page, sent it to me. Listen to this statistic. Can you believe this? I couldn't believe it. The United Nations has now announced that one half of the Earth's population... 50% of the human beings living on this blue-green terrestrial ball, one half, are now under the age of 20. Can you believe that? If you took the whole human race, put them right here in this church, and drew this aisle down the middle, everybody sitting on this side of the aisle is under the age of 20. Man. And what is more, there is now research that confirms and corroborates. It takes only one of them under the age of 20. In fact, only one over the age of 20. It takes only one to become the tipping point and effect a global epidemic. It takes only one. I want to tell you about this book. I just got this book a few days ago. The camera will zoom in on it. You'll see the cover. It's entitled, The Tipping Point. In fact, the subtitle, How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. Incredible. Just phenomenal proposition in this book. It's written by a gentleman named Malcolm Gladwell. He's a Gen Xer himself. He's a journalist for the New Yorker magazine. Fascinating premise. And that is, uh, Gladwell has gone to the realm of epidemiology. You know what epidemiology is? It's the study of disease. Going back, no, is, is, that, is that right? Yeah, epidemiology. I was thinking of epistemology, and I said, man, I'm really in trouble with the university congregation. Now, epidemiology, it's the science that, go, that studies disease going right back to the beginning. He has taken the principles of epidemiology, and he's translated them into a new strategic way for us to interpret our culture. In fact, his premise is this. Massive social change behaves like a viral epidemic. AIDS is a virus, Ebola is a virus, measles, the flu, all viruses. All you need is a single virus 
with the ability to stick. It has the stickiness, as he calls it. It needs to be able to stick to someone or something else. If it has that capacity, then, given the right context, that single virus can infect an entire populace and create, overnight, an epidemic. Say, hey, I mean, I know all about epidemics. I, I figured that could happen. Ah, but here's the, here's the, here is the astounding bridge he builds. He says, take epidemiology. I'm telling you, it is true with the human race. In fact, social scientists are calling them the tipping points. Who are the tip, tipping points? It may be a single individual. It could be a small group. And an emphasis on, is on small. A small group that becomes... A viral change agent, just a hand, tiny handful, that can precipitate an epidemic, a social epidemic, and literally overnight can change a social segment. It takes only one tipping point. He said, you know, the problem with us, he's going on to make his point. The problem with us is when we think of change as human beings, we say, well, you know, change, you have a little bit here and then 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 here. And then, here, and then. And then finally change happens one day. He said, we are gradualists. That's our, that's our challenge as human beings. He said, what we've got to do is start reckon, reckoning with what science calls geometric progression. Ever heard of geometric progression? Here's how it works. He uses this illustration. I'm going to do it right here in front of you. This is a single piece of paper. Now watch this. If I take this paper, now follow me. If I take this paper and I fold it in half, is it now thicker than it was before? Come on. Is it now thicker than it was before? But of course, there's two. Now if I take it again and fold it in half, is it now thicker than it was before? Come on, Dwight. We're not dumb, you know. All right. What if I took this piece of paper and I continue to fold it? Let's say I could fold it 50 times. Huh? How thick would this piece of paper be? Same piece of paper, folded 50 times. How thick would it be? I was meeting Wednesday night with a, a group of friends of mine who are our prayer partners. We have a, our, our prayer group meeting every Wednesday night. And so I did this. I said, guys, you're not going to believe this. How thick it's going to be? And one of the guys said, oh, about three inches, four inches. Another guy said, no, 10,000 miles. I said, come on. I said, if you take this paper and you fold it 50 times, do you know what? The thickness would stretch from earth all the way to the sun. And if you folded it 51 times, it would come all the way back to earth again. See, that's geometric progression. It just keeps doubling. What social scientists are saying is, hey, wait a minute. Change doesn't have to happen gradually. You know what, folks? I'm reading this book. I read two reviews of the book this summer, so I said, I've got to have the book for my own. I'm reading this and it's suddenly hitting me over, over these last few years. I've said to myself, oh God, how long is this going to take? It, it, this is going to take forever. We'll never be able to get it done, whatever it is. And suddenly now as I'm reading this, it occurs to me. Epidemic can happen literally, literally overnight. And an entire globe can be infected just like a viral epidemic. If you have the right tipping point, the point of why we're here this morning, for the next few moments, the, the, the last moments we have here together, I want, let's do this together. Let us watch, won't this be so? Let us watch a tipping point becoming created. Let us watch a single viral agent create, just like that, an epidemic 
Open your Bible, please, to the Old, Old Testament. When's the last time you were in 1 Samuel? A long time. It's been a while. Well, let's go back to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, if you can find it, 1 Samuel chapter 17. You say, come on, do I put the, put the, put the uh, words up on the screen? Nope, nope, nope. We did so well this summer without putting words on the screen. It's just great to hear the pages turning. So bring your Bible, please. We may go ahead and break down and do PowerPoint next week on the opening Sabbath of the school year, but uh, let's just do it, in, do it in the book together. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, as soon as you get to 1 Samuel 17, oh man, I already know this story. Yes, you do. I know you do. In fact, let's just... Let's do this. Let's, let's summarize the story so that we don't have to take a lot of time reading through. Oh, why read chapter 17 through when we already know it? I learned a song when I was a boy. Oh, my. I tell you what, my dad, by the way, I love my father. And he, in my book, is the greatest storyteller who has ever lived on this planet, bar none. He uses sound effects. He used to, when we were kids, use all the animation. And when we would go to bed, we would beg Dad, please tell us another story. And oftentimes, this would be the story. And so I'm hearing my dad tell the story as you and I are journeying through it for these brief moments this morning. You know the story. In fact, when I was a kid, there was a song and we used to sing it. The whole story is summed up in a song. And then when Kirk came along, and Kirk was with us last night, and he's 20 years old now. But when Kirk came along, oh man, he used to love this song. I don't know if you know it. it are kids still singing it now? Only a boy named David. Have you, have you ever heard of that one? Oh man, Kirk would sing that song when he came to that part about the slingshot. Boy, he'd about throw his arm out of joint every single time. And so listen, why, why take the time to read this? Let's, let's just sing the song together. I know what your freshmen are thinking. I thought we went to university, not cradle roll. It's okay. It's going to hurt to go back to our roots. Let's sing the song. You sing it with me. Only a boy named David, only a little sling. Only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. Only a boy named David, only a rippling brook. Only a boy named David, but five little stones he took. And one little stone went in the sling. And the, come on, you got room. And round. And one little stone went in the sling. And the sling went round and round. Do it over your head. And round and round and round and round. And round and round and round. And one little stone went up in the air, and the giant came tumbling down. I tell you, you still have it in your heart. Hallelujah. Well, now I know we don't have to read this story through. You know it. But ladies and gentlemen, when we think of this story, and I'm thinking about our new freshman class here, when we think of this story, you, you've got to know that it really is such a compelling description of the creation of the tipping point. It is the power of one lone voice for God. It is the power of one dedicated life to God. It is the power of one simple faith in God. The power of one humble friend of God. Get it down, ladies and gentlemen. Doesn't matter whether, which side of the aisle you live, by the way, uh, it, it, in the human race. The fact is, it takes only one. Takes only one. 
And here comes David. David is under the age of 20. There is no question by the use of the Hebrew words here in this chapter. He's called a boy. He's called a stripling. He is a boy, boy. He is under the age of 20. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you the question. Hey, where are all the adults? Where is everybody? How come it's that David out there against this Goliath? And by the way, do you know how tall Goliath is? He's six and a half cubits tall. There's a little bit of controversy as to how long the cubit is from here to here. Is it 18 inches? Is it 20 inches? Taking the shortest definition, it would be about nine and a half feet. The usual definition puts Goliath at 10 feet, 10 inches tall. I mean, we're talking twice this height here. That's Goliath. And he is as big around as he is tall. There is not a man in that community that is willing to stand up to this giant. And by the way, the giant has spent the last 40 days roaring. I mean, when you got lungs like that, you roar. He's been roaring. Give me. Come on. I am the Philistine. Goliath's name is used only twice in the chapter, but 25 times he's called the Philistine. And he uses it first, very egotistical. I am the main man of the Philistines. Give me your main man, and we shall fight. Well, they, had a, they had an arrangement back then that uh, if the armies were stalemated, they could send their champions out, and they could determine the outcome. In fact, what, about ten, uh, five chapters later, David takes twelve men, Abner takes twelve, and you remember the twelve young men? They all kill each other. It was a draw. They were willing to settle it all. So Goliath has been out there for forty days, yelling and roaring over the camp of Israel. Where are the men? Hey, I want to tell you something. Do you know who should have taken on that challenge? There is one man in the community of Israel, twice before this story, he is, his height is described as head and shoulders over all other men. Who was that man? That man is Saul. Do you know what Goliath is saying? Is Send me Saul. He's your big man. You bring Saul out here and the two of us will go head to head. Saul is scared spitless. And he is the leader of the community. So along comes a boy. I don't know, 15, 16, 17. He comes walking in that camp and says, hey, what is the big deal here? What we've got here, dear gentlemen, is an uncircumcised Philistine. What's the big deal? Well, I hadn't looked at it like that either. What is the big deal? Look how the people have reacted. <laughs> Look at verse 11 in chapter 17. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, the Philistine, they were dismayed. The Hebrew word is shattered. They were shattered. They were broken to pieces and greatly afraid. And then you go down to verse 24. And all the Israelites, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. Saul is the one who should have gone. Saul has washed his hands of it until word comes that there's a boy who says, I will go out and I'll kill that Goliath. I'll kill the giant. Saul, you've got to understand, is in the moment of a major dilemma. He cannot let the boy go. Because if he lets the boy go and the boy is slaughtered, Saul will be blamed and the whole nation will rise up and destroy him. But if he refuses to let the boy go... Then it's been 40 days now. The natural pick is going to be, you demand, Saul, you're next. He's caught in the horns of a dilemma as young David stands before him. And you know, Saul tries everything to talk about him. And David said, no, 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 no. God has been with me. Man, I, I have killed lions. I have killed bears. God has done it through me. Oh, king, let me get this uncircumcised Philistine and I'll take care of him for you. Finally says, okay, you go, boy. I'll let you. 
But you've got to put this on. And you remember when David puts on that awful armor of salt and he tries to walk out of that tent. It is absolutely a joke. I tell you what, it's a joke still these days. It's to see a, see a young man, see a woman, see, a, see an older man attempt to journey through life wearing somebody else's armor. It's, it's just so crazy. Why, why do you have to be like somebody else? I don't care if that somebody else is on television. I don't care if that somebody else is on the silver screen. Why do you have to try to wear... You don't have to wear that armor. Maybe it's your hero. You don't have to wear even your mentor's armor. You are special to God just because you are you. There is nobody else in the human race just like you. God says, hey, be you. I want to use you. And so David said, oh man. Come on, man. Let, 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 me, let me just be me, will you? Okay. Okay. Don't say I didn't warn you. And so David walks out. I want you to catch this in verse 40. He walks out of the imperial tent. And in verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi. The wadi is a little brook that carves a niche in the valley. By the way, I was just at this valley two summers ago. They're talking about mountains. We're not talking mountains, folks. We're talking 300 feet, maybe 200 feet hills. And there is a valley. And I got out of the tour bus and I got to find... I'll bet you David skipped over these five because these came from that very same valley. They're right here. You want to touch them afterwards? Come. Five stones. Five stones. I tell you what, those tourist buses, they bring in dump trucks and they just dump those stones. There'd be another tourist bus coming. They're not dumb over there. So anyway, I brought these back from Israel. Do you know why David chose five stones? Get this. Do you know why? Because according to 2 Samuel chapter 21, Goliath has four giant brothers. Huh? Four more. And so when David goes down, he's looking up the hill at that 11-foot monster. And he scoops up these five. We have from that boy a radical, bold statement of faith. One for you, Goliath, and four for your brothers. Wow. Nobody in the community would stand up to the giant. It took a boy to become the tipping point. And that's the point. Now, we can't sit down without at least letting David's voice be heard here before we hurry out of this sanctuary. By the way, David begins to cry out here. And the little book, Patriarchs and Prophets, describes it. And I love this. There was a ring of fearlessness in his tone. We're talking the boy now. A ring of fearlessness in his tone. Some of you are thinking, I'm too small, I'm too young, I will never make a difference around here. Forget it. That is rubbish. There was a ring of fearlessness in his tone, a look of triumph and rejoicing upon his fair countenance. He is smiling as he's coming up. This speech, given in a clear, musical voice, rang out over the air and was distinctly heard by the listening thousands marshaled for war. Both sides, you're in a valley, your voice is echoing. Everybody hears this conversation now, which is why we have it. Let's read it. Verse 41, then the Philistine came, the Philistine came and drew near to David. 
with his shield bearer in front of him as if Goliath needed one. And when the Philistine, as it is in the Hebrew, it's Philistine, looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Boy, am I a dog? What is this? You got sticks? What are you going to say? Heel, sit, roll over? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, by the god of Dagon and all the pantheon in Gath. I curse you. And then, folks, something is happening here. Then the Philistine calls to David, come, come here, boy, come, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me. Oh, I love that. I love that. What do you mean me come to you? You come to me. You come to me. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come to you. In the name. What is the secret of being a tipping point? You are reading it right now. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a mighty man in Israel. Is that what it reads? Nope. Mark it well, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever a tipping point moment arrives, the issue will never be about the human tipping point. The issue is always the character and reputation of God Himself. That's the only way He'll use you. If you are out for Him, He'll use you. If you're out for you, adios. Nope. So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you, here it comes, into our, right there you saw it. That is the birthing of the epidemic because it's no longer the boy against the giant. It is now all of us are in this one act that I make in the name of God. He will give you into our hand. Hallelujah. You want to have the courage of David, then you keep the name of David's Lord upon your lips. You become a friend. The Bible calls David at this age a man after God's own heart. You keep company with the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we sang about a moment ago, and you will have the holy boldness of David. You'll be a tipping point here. I promise you, you will be a tipping point in your office, in your marriage, in your dormitory, in your business, in your retirement, in your neighborhood. You will be a tipping point with the name of the Lord upon your lips. Oh, I like this next part. Then, 48, when the Philistine drew near, the guy's 11 feet tall, he weighs 8,000 pounds probably. When he's coming down that hill, he goes, boom, boom, and David goes, boom, 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 I guess the giant is coming. When the Philistine comes down, 
And he drew near to meet David. David, oh, I love this. David doesn't just stand there. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and he took a stone and he slung it. And he struck the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down. I mean, the whole earth shook. Seismic. Five points on the Richter scale. He goes down on that earth. And so David, hallelujah, verse 50, prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, tri- striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. So then David ran and stood over the Philistine and he grasped his sword and he drew it out of its sheath and he killed him. And then he cut off his head with it and that sword comes down. Now, Uncle Arthur's Bible story never pictured this moment, but in... It, <laughs> In, in, in Patriarchs and Prophets, it describes the head rolling away. And when that head rolls, they know it is curtains for the Philistines. There is a mighty shout, talking about geometric progression. Boom! An entire army has taken courage from a boy. A boy! You are just a boy, Saul said. David's older brother said, I know the naughtiness of your heart, kid. You're tied to your mama's strings. Go home. A boy stood up and became the tipping point. And the epidemic was contagious. And literally overnight, an entire community is reshaped. The paradigm shifts. It takes only one. The power of one lone voice for God. The power of one dedicated life for God. The power of one simple faith in God. The power of one humble friend of God. It takes just one, my friends, my new friends in the freshman class, and you may be that one. You may be it. In fact, you know what? You may not even be a freshman. You may be here on either side of the aisle. And who, who, who are you? You're an unknown. You are one of those unlikelies. You're quietly going about your daily rounds of duty. You're quietly going about your daily rounds of study, unaware that Almighty God is secretly, silently, right now, preparing you to become a major tipping point in His strategic effort to infect the whole human race for Jesus Christ. Right now. You don't know it. You say, I'm just going through my day and night and day and night while the angel of God who encamps around you is carefully guarding you. Protect that boy. That boy has a heart for Jesus. Protect that woman. She's got a heart for Jesus. Don't let anything happen because I'm going to need her in, I'm going to need her in eight weeks. I will need him in three months. I will need her in two years. Protect her and grow her now. Wow. It may be you. I want to tell you something, freshman. We've been waiting for you. I've been waiting 17 years. Because there's a tipping point sitting right here today. I have no idea who it is. I have no idea is he, is she on which side of the aisle. And it really doesn't matter to me. Because we are in desperate need of somebody who has the courage to stand up. Oh yeah, of course it takes courage to stand up. You bet. It takes courage to speak out. It takes courage to challenge the giants of evil that can hold a community of faith hostage. But all the adults have run and fled. All the leaders who should be standing up have not stood up. It takes a boy. Sometimes it takes a girl to stand up and say, something's wrong with this picture. 
And I challenge it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I challenge this. You may be the one. Innocently, inadvertently, you stumbled onto the battlefield. You didn't know what you were getting into. But God's been leading you. I want you to take heart, take courage. Whoever you are. No, David is not on your side, but hallelujah, you have the son of David beside you. The son of David. He didn't have five stones, but you know what he had? He had a heap of rocks at the foot of his cross. His cross was wedged into those rocks. And when Jesus cried out into that dank, humid air of Golgotha, that single cry, it was like a shepherd boy's stone. That cry flew, hurtled through the darkness, and struck the unprotected head of the enemy, thus fulfilling that ancient prophecy to that wicked, wily serpent. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your hand. Calvary. (laughs) Calvary was God's one stone. One shot, and it crushed the head of a Goliath named the devil. And he has no brothers. He's it. Your enemy has already been defeated. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, it takes courage. You bet, but hallelujah for you, my friend. It isn't David you've got on your side. You and I have the mighty Son of David. What do you say? The Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith in His victory. By faith in His salvation. What the ambassador sang a moment ago. you, You can find it. By faith, you can have all of salvation wrapped up in a single decision for Christ. You may have Jesus right now. You make the choice. I want to end with a reading sent to me this last week by a friend of ours out in Oregon, Karen Van Satten. It's entitled, In Whose Friends? Listen to this. A basketball in my hands is worth about $19. A basketball in Michael Jordan's hands is worth about $33 million. It depends whose hands it's in. A baseball in my hands is worth about $6. A baseball in Mark McGuire's hands is worth 19 to $20 million. It depends on whose hands it's in. A tennis racket is useless in my hands. A tennis racket in Pete Sampras' hands is a Wimbledon championship because it depends on whose hands it's in. A rod in my hands will keep away a wild animal. A rod in Moses' hands will part the mighty sea. It depends whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hands is a kid's toy. A slingshot in David's hands is a mighty weapon because it depends on whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves of bread in my hands is a couple of fish sandwiches. Two fish and five loaves of bread in God's hands will feed thousands. It depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hands might produce a birdhouse, but nails in the hands of Jesus Christ will produce salvation for the entire civilization. As you can see, it depends whose hands it's in. So put your concerns, your worries, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your life in God's hands because you see it depends on whose hands it's in. We need a young man. We need a young woman 
Hey, we need a not-so-young man. We need a not-so-young woman who is willing to put it all in the nail-scarred hands of Calvary's victor. We need somebody by faith to step forward and say, I'll be a tipping point for him. Yes, I will. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we need. It depends on whose hands it's in. It occurs to me, my friend, freshman class and all the rest of you, you could be that man. You could be that woman. Son of David, you have heard our prayer. We're asking for you. You can take the world, you can take everything else that has competed for our hearts. We ask only, give us Jesus. And oh Christ, for the tipping points that you are already beginning to move into place by faith, I thank you. Keep close to him. Keep close to her. Empower that few to become that epidemic moment when you will through that voice through that commitment sweep across this campus and now be strong and of a good courage be not dismayed nor be afraid for the Lord your God is with you whithersoever you go Amen.